Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, I'm not sure where to begin, so I, I, I want to begin in the middle. And, and the thing is, is that really all of life is actually beginning in the middle. Um, because, well, well, we'll try to explain it, but basically wherever we are, we're always in the middle. Um, and I think that's an important perspective on life. Um, and you see it in a lot of different places. Today is Pesach Sheni, which is the second Pesach. I'm going to explain what that means in a moment. But, but just, to, just to give you a better sense of what I'm talking about, that we're always in the middle, no matter what. You see it, I think probably the best example of this is that, is that Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, so that marks the beginning of the year. So in terms of the order of um, months, it's the first day of the seventh month of the year. So there's something really kind of funny about that, which is that our new year begins in the middle of the year. So, so this sort of underscores this idea that you're always in the middle. And I think that the teaching is that everyone should realize that wherever they are in their life, wherever they are in terms of an activity or a project or a thought or whatever it is, there's always the opportunity to begin again, even once you feel as though maybe the gig is up, so to speak. Um, and we've talked about this in, in other ways. We're going to go more deeply into this idea today. But, but the, the very word brachis, um, which is the first word of the Torah, which is the blueprint of, of all of reality. It says God looked into the Torah and created the universe. The word brachis, I heard from my Rebbe, Rebbe Shlomo Karlbach, in the name of Rebbe Shimon Bar Yochai, brachis actually means base reshit, with, with beginnings, that God actually created the world out of beginnings, meaning to say that every single moment is a beginning. Because the fabric of creation actually is made out of beginnings. So, so wherever you are, whatever you're doing, every single moment is literally a beginning. Now, because of the way we're constructed as human beings, and because we have a sense of cause and effect, and, and, and beginning, middle, and end, and, and narrative, and age, and all sorts of things like this, because of the physicality and the materiality of the world, we, we tend to see things as, as not beginnings all the time. But that this is essentially an illusion, because things actually are beginnings all the time. That's the inner reality that's actually being worked out all of the time. That every single moment is a beginning. You know, I, I once heard Rev Shlomo say that, he said that, I'm trying to remember the exact numbers, but it was something like this, that 85% of all marriages can be fixed within the first moments of every single day. Because in the morning, you're, you're both given basically refreshed souls. Your souls go up while you're sleeping and they come down refreshed. And there's a newness to your souls that if we understand the opportunity that's being presented to ourselves in the morning, in the first moments of the morning, then, then we can access that, you know? Um, so Pesach Sheni, so today is Pesach Sheni, and this is the capital of second chances. That's, that's, that's the way Rav Shlomo would say, the headquarters of second chances is today. So, so how do we learn it out? And I want to show you something that I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my own mind around. Um, so, 
so I'll just kind of give you the, the, the basic facts, and then maybe over the next period of days, months, weeks, years, or whatever it is, you can think about it on your own and try to, un, try to unwrap this riddle that's, that's, in the, that's in the Torah about Pesach Sheni. But let me just give you the, the basic uh, understanding of it. Um, on the most fundamental level, the idea is like this. There's something called the Korban Pesach. That's the um, Passover offering that the Jewish people would offer. And that was done on the 14th of the month of Nisan, right before Pesach starts, right before Passover starts. And this was a very, very, very big deal. A very big deal among the Jewish people. And God willing will become a very, very big deal again when the temple is rebuilt. I mean, it's sort of like, it, it's the thing. Like, if you didn't bring a Korban Pesach, like, that's... I don't even know how to explain it. You, you just weren't a member of the Jewish people, essentially. I mean, it was like paying your dues in the most primary, primary, soul-related way. It was very, very critical. Now, now, what happens if you didn't bring a Korban Pesach? So you figure, wow, you didn't even bring the Passover offering. I am such a loser, right? I mean, it's sort of like, here's like my main thing. I got to do one thing, which is that, and I didn't even do that. So the Torah says something amazing. It says, you know what, if you didn't do it, you get a second chance one month later. And that's not a simple thing. Because where else do you see that exactly? Like, you know what, you didn't light Hanukkah candles? So what is it? It's May? Get out your menorah! Come on! You know? (laughs) Amnesty Day! You know, what else didn't you do? You didn't fast at Yom Kippur? What's today? Thursday? It's like July. All right, fast today. You know, we don't, we don't have this in the Torah. This is the only place. Now, we have the concept of tshuva. Tshuva means to reconnect. It means to return. Now, that's a, that's a beautiful thing, and that's actually what the word itself means. It means to return. And just to give you, it's a whole other topic. I won't go off on this rant, but just to give you just the idea, a lot of times tshuva is translated in English as repentance. Which is like, to me, it's like if I hear the word, someone says to me, repent, I can't get away from that person fast enough. Right? I mean, who are you? And what, what is this? Run! You know, it's like, but, but, but return, I can return. I've got a piece of God within me and I want to reconnect that with the whole. I can return. I want to return. I want to return every single moment. So... So this concept of, of that, you're, that you have a second chance. And then who gets, who's eligible to this second chance? So, so Rashi is a little bit technical, but just listen to the, I'm not going into the technical aspect of it, just listen to the poetry of it, if you will, for a moment, which is that Rashi brings this idea that even if someone were on the threshold of the Holy Temple, in other words, they kind of got, they got there and they still didn't bring the Corbin Pesach. That they're still eligible to bring it. So, in other words, you know, Rabbi Nachman talks about something. How, how hard we have to try and how we have to keep on trying. And, and, and to have something called um, holy chutzpah. Meaning to say that if you feel as though your efforts are being rejected by God, that God is saying, no... I don't want it. I, I don't want it that, that, that a person keeps on knocking at the door. That's called holy chutzpah. God, I, 
I want to serve you. I'm, I'm not going away. And I, I, I won't be sent away and I won't be, I won't be discouraged. I, I'm going to come again and again and again and again. So, so Rabbi Nachman gives a, an example of, imagine you're, you're going to conquer this, this, this king's fortress and there are all sorts of soldiers and their, and their walls and their barriers and their warriors and you, somehow you manage to scale the walls and you get right to the door of the king, right? And then there's a cobweb covering the front of the door and then you go, oh man, let's go back. <laughs> like, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Like, that's, at that moment you're becoming discouraged? At that moment all you have to do is just, you know, blow or just, just sweep your hand and, 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 and that obstacle is gone. So he talks about that in life. That sometimes we, we work so hard, we work, we work, we work. I mean, what does it mean just to, for the average person, people don't talk about this because it's embarrassing. So people don't like to share this level of information with each other. But how much work does the average person put into just getting out of bed in the morning? There's a lot of work that goes into that for a lot of people. Just having the courage to confront another day. So imagine all the work that you get into and then it's sort of like, there's just one more thing, and it's just it's on the level of a spider web. You know, now you're going to stop trying? Now you're going to stop trying? So second chances. So let's, let's look into how this whole concept of second chances got into the world. Because, interestingly, we've got, in terms of sort of like the, if, if you will, the physics of spirituality, in terms of that, we've got two main fulcrums, if that's the right word. One is the above to the below, meaning to say that Hashem shines His light on us and opens up our heart and inspires us, and, and so that's, and, and just sort of creates an opening for us, right? In fact, it's a, it's, someone, uh, my friend Ari said a, a beautiful Torah, maybe this is just shot, maybe this is how you learn it, but I hadn't heard it put in this way. You know, when Hashem split the Red Sea, it wasn't just the Red Sea that got split. It says every single body of water in the world got split. And not only that, but if a person had a glass of water on a table, that, Rashi brings this, this, this example with the glass of water, that the water within that glass also got split. Not only that, now remember the word for water is Mayim, that all the heavens split. And that we received a level of revelation that was, and prophecy, the lowest, the person on the lowest spiritual level, crossing the sea, got a revelation of the heavens higher than Yecheskel, the prophet Ezekiel, who has one of the primary accounts of what's going on in heaven. Okay, so the lowest spiritual person got a higher vision than Ezekiel. Okay, but listen to this thing. So, but, but what's this idea that the heavens split? So, remember, how do you say heaven in Hebrew? Shamayim. It has the word Mayim in it. And every body of Mayim split. So, maybe that's how they learn out that the heavens also split. Right? So, I don't know. But it's a... That, I really like that, uh, that thought. Okay. So, so, in terms of sort of the, the physics of spirituality, if you will... You have a, what's called an arousal from above, which means that Hashem sort of like creates this opportunity. And then you have something called an arousal from below. 
which is when uh, we desire something. And because God sees that we desire something, he, he creates it. He creates this opportunity because it's come from us. So Pesach Sheni is probably the classic example of an arousal from below. Meaning to say that, that it was done in our merit because we asked. So, so here's the actual narrative. There, there are two different explanations of it. Okay? One is that, um, that when, when we had the Mishkan, meaning the tabernacle in the desert, that was like the first version of the base of Migdash, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. It says we built it in the desert. So Nadav and Avihu died, right? And their bodies were in the sanctuary still. And someone fished them out. And so they had contact with the dead. Now, since the temple was dedicated on on either the first of Nisan or perhaps it was the eighth of Nisan, whatever it was, they were going to be in a state of spiritual impurity through their contact with the dead so that they couldn't offer the Korban Pesach, the Passover offering. And so, so they were out of the box. You know, they just couldn't offer it. And so they came to Moshe and they said to Moshe, it's not fair. You know, we didn't do anything wrong. We were just doing what needed to be done at that moment. Why should it be that we shouldn't be able to offer this incredibly primary, important act of service to you? And Moshe said, good point. Let me ask God. And Moshe asked God. This is like, it says that Moshe would speak to God face to face. And this is one of the examples, clear examples, where you see, you know, what the level of the relationship, even after Mount Sinai, the ongoing relationship of Moshe and God was. Moshe asks God, and God says, yeah, they're right. Let's make another holiday for them. See, interestingly, we'll, we'll have to think this through uh, uh, another time, but interestingly, God didn't say, you know what? Let them, you know what? You know what? Th- that, that's a special case. You're right. Let them offer it with everyone else on the 14th of Nisan, when everyone else does it. Do you hear how that could have been the answer? Or you know what? Here, take some hyssop and some red wool and uh, say this and uh, they'll be all right. We're going to put them on the fast track. Now, don't use this for anyone else. All right? But this is just for them and they'll be good on the 14th. They're good to go. They're on the list. You know? But that, that's, not what, that's not what God said, which is really amazing. I mean, the implications of this are, are, are very profound, actually. What, what God said was, they are impure for the 14th, as is the structure. As is the structure. The structure remains intact. However, we're going to create a brand new opportunity for them and for everyone else for all eternity after them in exactly one month's time. You know, there are units of mazel, if you will. One of the units of mazel is a month. Another unit of mazel is a year. You know, like some people say, you know, I'm having a bad year. Or I'm having a great year. You know, there is like, but within months, within 
it's and probably even weeks. I, I, I can't give. I don't have a clear example in my in my mind right now for a week, but probably within weeks as well. But but so in one month's time, they had this opportunity now to bring it. But you see, you see something amazing here, which is how the desire for these people to serve God was so intense that they created an opening for second chances for people till today and forever. Now, I heard Rabbi Simcha Weinberg say something very beautiful, which kind of goes with this thought, which is he said that if you ever have a moment of uh, inspiration, you should use that moment of inspiration to pray for your children and your grandchildren. That you should have in mind future generations. You know, and it can just be the Jewish people, whatever it is, just or the whole world, whatever it is, whatever's in your heart, that you use that moment to sort of, so to speak, not just to have it for yourself, but to use it to open up opportunities for future generations also. Because again, to repeat, they could have just said, God, make this miraculous exception for us, and let us come on the 14th with everybody else. But that's not what they did. Somehow the quality of their prayer was so sincere and so intense that it created an opening for all people for all time. Now I heard from Rabbi Shlomo Katz, who quoted the Zohar, and he said that all openings that our forefathers and tzaddikim and and holy mothers have done throughout history, all of those windows, so to speak, that they've opened in Shemayim, in heaven, remain open. That's, a, that's another amazing thought. Sometimes we think that, you know, like Eliyahu or Avraham or Moshe or whatever it is, that they came and they did their work at that particular period of history. And because they're no longer here, that that opening that they created is also no longer here. But it's not the case. It's, it's always here. It remains open. All those windows remain open. Now, I'll tell you something, because we're talking about openings in heaven right now. A related thought, and I, somehow I don't hear this said often enough. I think this should be said at every bris, every circumcision that's done. They should say this thought. And I saw it in the name of the Svasemis, which is, you see, what happened was, what happened was, after Adam and Chava, you see, on some level, and this is very profound, we have to really try to understand this thought, but on some level, Adam and Chava were like creatures of light before they ate from the Eitz Hadas. However, we're to understand that, okay? And that they really, they, they were very expansive creatures. They really, they, they, it says that they were very tall. They were very, very tall. You know, and, and if we understand that they were like more on the level of energy, then, then we can begin to wrap our minds around that, you know? And that it says that when they left, Hashem gave them a katanis or. Or is spelled ayin vav rej. It means like a, like a leather, like a leather garment, right? But, but the deeper, the deeper sources learn it basically that he basically clothed, clothed them in flesh. And that it wasn't just them that got clothed in flesh. 
that the entire world got an encasement of materiality that was that that sort of blocked our perception of godliness in, this, in the world. Okay? So, Adam was born perfect, meaning to say that he didn't have this, this extra flap of skin that men are born with that, that have to be cut off. Right? But after, after he left the Garden of Eden, he grew it, and he had to be circumcised. Okay? So, so what happens is, when someone, when someone has a circumcision to this day, the idea is that you're cutting a piece of the physical encasement of this world, which is blocking out the full perception of godliness in this world. In other words, you're poking, you're making a window. You're making a window, not just on the individual's human flesh, and not just for the sake of that individual. It's also working on that level. But you're actually cutting out a piece of the physical encasement of this world that blocks our perception of godliness. And in doing so, you're making a window for more light to come into this world. Like there's less flesh blocking that perception. So again, what I'm trying to say is is that, remember, we're always talking about how each person is a microcosm of the entire universe. So what's happening on your body is also happening on the entire world. Do you understand? So to the extent that you can reduce the level of materiality or physicality on the individual, that's also happening on a cosmic level, on a world level as well. And so more light is coming in. So now... Let's go back to this idea of second chances. You see, what they did was they opened up a window for all of eternity. And every time we have a moment of inspiration, we can also use that to open up a window for future generations. And we can pray for them and we can have them in mind. Like, who knows what's going to be with our children? Who knows what's going to be with our grandchildren? Who knows what's going to be with our great-grandchildren? Can you imagine that you could say a prayer right now, which might save your great-grandchild's life, right now? Who knows? Who knows? I mean, this, it's awesome what, what goes on. And there's a... Okay, I want to talk about Yosef, and then I want to talk about this time-bending aspect to second chances, okay? Which is the, an aspect I haven't really heard discussed in, about Pesach Shani. But anyway, let's go further into this idea of of the, just what actually happened in this historical event. Now, there's a completely different account of how Pesach Sheni started, okay? And this account goes like this, that, you know, one of the amazing things is that um, Joseph, Joseph says to his brothers, and he says to his children, He says, listen, God is going to redeem us from Egypt. This is before we were actually officially enslaved, right? But we were parked in Egypt at this point. God is going to redeem us from Egypt. And, you know, I guess he also understood prophetically that the enslavement was really going to kick in. So this is now, he's talking about an event that's not going to happen for a couple hundred years. He says, and when God remembers and brings us out of Egypt... Make sure that you take me with you 
take my bones with you out of Egypt and bring them to Israel. Now that's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing that Yosef said. And I'll tell you why. On just one level anyway. Which is, if you remember his father Yaakov, when he's on his deathbed, he's like, get me out of here. <laughs> like, oh, get me out of here right now. As soon as I'm dead, I'm out. You know, and swear. Because he swear that you're going to do it. Because he understood that there was going to be incredibly intense pressure from Pharaoh not to let Yaakov out. By the way, you know, it's a... No, Yaakov. Because remember, Yaakov, a lot of, uh, a lot of people don't give sufficient credit in the end of the famine to Jacob. Jacob is Yaakov. What, what, did, what did Yaakov do? You know, Yosef, right, through his power of interpreting dreams, understands that God has sent an alert to Paro, Pharaoh as the leader of Egypt, that, which was the power of the world, was headed for this basically, you know, life-ending mass destruction. You know, like, I mean, this famine was, was going to be on the level of a huge meteor hitting the earth and just destroying life on earth. That's how great this famine was. And he's alerting the, the king at that time, who's in charge of these resources, you know, on some level anyway, that this famine is coming. And of course, Yosef divines us through a dream and creates this whole plan. And there's seven years of plenty and he stores up all the grain. And then they're into the famine and everyone's just, you know, they're going to drop like flies, except Yosef, through his wisdom and understanding God's will, has stored it up. But here's, here's the real point. The real point is that when Yaakov comes down to Egypt, the famine is still going on. And the famine ends when Yaakov steps on the soil of Egypt. So that famine, that seven-year famine, which was several years into effect, it was already having its devastating effect, and had Yosef not taken precautions, everyone would have died. So Yosef did do the great thing that we all say he did. However, that famine was destined to last several more years. But Yaakov arrives on the scene, and through his greatness and holiness, the famine ends. So Pharaoh is like, That's, you know, I thought Yosef was my man. You're a man between the two of you. <laughs> you know, so, so, so Yaakov knows Pharaoh's not letting the body, remember, they were into all sorts of black magic and idol worship and everything under the sun. They're not letting, the, they're not letting Yaakov out of the country. No way. Even dead, they're not letting him out of the country. So that's why he makes Yosef swear that you're going to get me out, because otherwise it's just going to be, it's going to be a really bad scene. But Yosef figures out how to do it and gets Yaakov out. So now, with that in mind, with that perspective, listen to what Yosef says. I'm going to stay here with you throughout your entire slavery and then bring my bones with you. And remember, what's Yosef? Yosef is the master of dreams. In other words, let my dreams for redemption stay with you within your slavery. My dreams are going to guide, it's going to keep you guys going. The dream of redemption which is keeping us all going till this day. The, right? So, that's, that's what Yosef does. Now, by the way, this is nothing against Yaakov, God forbid. Because Yaakov 
does it. Yaakov makes that connection. He gets to Mor Samach Pelah. Remember, the Zohar says that the cave of the patriarchs, Mor Samach Pelah, which is in Hebron, that's where, that's the entrance to the Garden of Eden, where heaven and earth kiss, so to speak. Right? That's the language that they use, where, where heaven and earth kiss. Right? So that's where Yaakov is going. But first he's got to sort of like pave the way. And then, then at least we've got a path to get there. And then Yosef stays there to give them strength. Remember, Yosef is the gematria, the numerical equivalent of the word Sion, Zion. So even while we're out of Egypt, we've got the dreams and the power of Yosef keeping us connected in exile to Sion. Because Yosef and Sion, it's the same, same number, same DNA, right? Meaning, meaning that the dream of returning is, is, is always with us, you know? Which means, how, how far away can we be? You see, this is a very fundamental idea. So many of us ask, where is God? Is there a God? But what you have to understand is, is that, how are you even alive if there's no God? How are you even there to ask, is there a God, unless there's a God? <laughs> How is there even a world in which to ask, is there a God, unless there's a God who made the world and who made you and who's keeping you alive within the world at the same moment? So there is no space, there is no moment, there is no ever without God. Because otherwise, why are you wondering these things? Because God created you and is keeping you alive. So the very, when you understand that, the very question of where is God is ridiculous. Because God is everywhere and He's right here. He's never not here. Because if you're here, that's the greatest proof that God is here. So now, they take Yosef out. Moshe takes Yosef out. And this was, is, is the Chazal, our, 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 our sages say, this is one of the hallmarks of Moshe's greatness. One of the many hallmarks, but one of the hallmarks of Moshe's greatness. Because while everyone was doing what God had requested, which is they're going to all the Egyptians, and they're basically getting their back pay for all of the labor that they've done of enslavement. They're getting all the gold and silver, basically. While they're doing that, Moshe is going, where's Yosef's bones? Where are the bones of Yosef? Right? Everyone else is running after cash. And Moshe's like, you know, we made a promise. We made a promise to Yosef. We got to do it. So, so interestingly, Sarah, in one account, Sarah, who's the one who delivered the news to Yaakov that Yosef is still alive. Look at, how, look at the Serach Yosef connection, right? Listen, you know this whole thing. Serach is the daughter of Asher. Serach is one of the great women in, in Torah. It says basically she never died, that she entered the Garden of Eden while alive. There's a number of people who entered the Garden of Eden while alive that the Torah brings. One of them is Serach. And uh, so Serach solves a question which if you if you think about it is actually kind of a funny it's not funny but it's it's also funny it's kind of a funny question what if I had 
such good news for you. I'm saying it's legitimately good news. But it's such good news to you, to actually hear the news will kill you. <laughs> I mean, listen, I've got some good news. Okay, tell me. No, 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 you don't understand. It's really good news. No, no, tell me. No, 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 you don't understand. It's such good news, hearing it alone will kill you. <laughs> oh, well. But then, that's, then it's not good news. Oh, no, it's great news. <laughs> Everyone, I can tell ten people, they'll all say, it's amazing news. In fact, it's the greatest thing that you could ever hear. Really? So tell me. No, it'll kill you. This actually was a real problem in, in the Torah. The Torah discusses this problem. What was the case? Yaakov is mourning his son for 22 years. The greatest light in the world. Yosef, the greatest light in the world. He's mourning his death for 22 years. And it turns out he's alive. How can you tell him that news without giving him a heart attack and killing him? Right? It's like it gives you the chills. It's like it's funny, but it's not funny. So Sarah, this daughter of Asher, starts playing the harp. And she starts playing this soothing music. And while she's playing the soothing music, she delivers the news that Yosef is alive. And so through music, through the expansiveness of music, right? music is a very healing tool. Through the expansiveness of music, somehow it creates an opening where, where Yaakov can hear this news. And he receives this news in wholeness, and he lives, which was not a simple thing. So Serach now, who delivered the news that Yosef is still alive to Yaakov, Serach is now telling Moshe where to find, by the way, because this is much later, she gets blessed by Yosef, by Yaakov, to live forever. That's her blessing, that she's going to live forever. So, it says, Serach is the one who told Moshe where the bones of Yosef were. Alright, so look at this tie between Serach and Yosef still. So they bring out the bones of Yosef. Now we're back to Behisak Sheni. Okay? So, so they've got... And it's a whole amazing account how they actually get the bones of Yosef because they're on the bottom of the Nile River, sunk there so that they can't get them out because the Egyptians don't want Yosef to leave, right? That's what they would have done with Yaakov too. But he's literally in like a crypt on the bottom of the Nile, but they get him out and, and they put his bones in an ark and they start leaving Egypt with him. And it says, by the way, one of the accounts, there are different explanations of why the Red Sea split. One of the explanations is because the Red Sea saw the bones of Yosef and it split. Meaning to say, on a very amazing level, Yosef overcame his nature. Because remember, he was tested. One of the greatest tests ever given to a person was Yosef with Potiphar's wife. And... Uh, I heard it described by one sage as it was like a hundred lions were tearing at Yosef. Another rabbi explained it to me that imagine you have chewed the most delicious food and, you know, your mouth is like, you know, there's like a party in your mouth. You know, your taste buds are alive. You know, you just, it's so delicious. And now you, you don't swallow 
Can you imagine that, that the act of eating that's so delicious and everything like that, and then you don't swallow, and then that's and then you stay in that state for a period of years? <laughs> like, can you imagine like your your body is like like electrified with this sensation, and you don't you 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 you, you don't do what would seem to be the most natural form of completion. So because Yosef was able to overcome his nature, the sea said, we'll overcome our nature. It's not the nature of the sea to split. But because the sea saw Yosef, who overcame his nature, the sea overcame its nature. Okay, it was by divine command to the sea. But nonetheless, this is one of the teachings. Okay, but, and by the way, just since we're talking about the bones of Yosef, they traveled with the bones of Yosef until they got into Israel 40 years later. And they carried it in an ark next to the ark where the Ten Commandments were. Just to show you how awesome Yosef was. And they would say, the bones of those, what's in that ark, kept what's in that ark. You know, I mean, how important to us is Yosef that for 40 years his, the, boat, the ark with his bones was carried right next to the Torah. So, so now they're marching through the desert and it's the 14th of Nisan and it's time to offer the Korban Pesach. And the people carrying the bones of Yosef say, well, wait a second we have contact with the dead because through, by carrying the ark, that's considered touching a dead body. So we're not allowed to. And so they go to Moshe and they say, it's not fair. It's not fair. And Moshe says, you know, that's a really good point. Let me ask God. And God says, you know what? And again, look at the greatness of Pesach Sheni. God could have said, you know what? This is, come on, it's Yosef. Let him go on the 14th with everyone else. This doesn't count. Right? He, he didn't say that. God didn't say that. God said, wait a month. Let them get to this, you know, they'll go to the mikveh and everything like this. The, these, these men will get back to the state of ritual purity so that they can go to the mishkan, to the tabernacle, and offer the sacrifice. And that remains a holiday till today. That's why we're talking about it right now because of what these people said several thousand years ago. Now, now Yosef, now I heard this from Reb Shlomo. Yosef is de- descended from Rachel. Now Rachel Remember, we're talking about second chances. Now, Yosef's whole life is a study in second chances because he gets sold into slavery and then somehow he rises from being a slave to running the greatest power, right? Egypt. So his whole life is a study in second chances. So it makes sense that second chances should come through him, right? But Rav Shlomo takes it a step further. He says, who is his mother? His mother was Rachel. 
What's the story of Rachel? Well, Rachel has a soulmate, Yaakov, Jacob, and that's Jacob's first love. Jacob sees Rachel, and he kisses her, and then he starts crying. Right? That's what it says in the, in the Torah. The Torah says he saw her, he kissed her, and he started crying. And the commentaries say, why did he start crying? And they say, for two reasons. One, he saw that he wasn't going to be buried next to her, which is, that in itself is kind of a wondrous thing. And two, he saw the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. And that's why he starts crying. So that seems like kind of far out. To see, he kisses, he sees his soulmate, and he kisses her, and then he starts crying about the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. How many years later? So Reb Shlomo explains it in the following way. Why was the Beis HaMikdash destroyed? Because of something called sinas chinam, which means causeless hatred. People just hating each other for no reason. We're still trapped in this, we're still trapped in this, in the web of that, of, 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 of the web of that spiritual failing. We're still engulfed in it. Causeless hatred. People hating each other for no reason. Why do you have this? I want that. You have my thing. Listen to this. One of the greatest definitions in the world. Reb Shlomo explains jealousy. The, the definition of jealousy is thinking someone else has your portion. That's why you, you're not, you, don't, you don't feel like, oh, I want that too. That's so nice. Oh, it's so cool. I want that too. No. On a much deeper level, you're saying, that's mine. You have my thing. What are you doing with my thing? It's much more intense. It's much more intense. That's what's really going on. That's the root emotion. That's what's going on on a soul level. You took my thing. You know, people, but you know what? It's, I have some news for you. It's not yours. If it was yours, you would have it. You know why he has it? Because it's his. Because God gave it to him. And just like God gave it to him, God can also give you one. God is not out of Mercedes. You know, it's like, oh man, I gave the last one to Troy in Vermont. Listen, can you wait like six months? Because, you know, you know, there's certain parts that just, it's, they've just been, well, look, let's just say they're on back order. And we'll get them for you. That's not it. God is not out of anything. There's no shortage of anything. If you don't have it and you want it, it's either because it's not time yet, God is going to give it to you, but it's just not time yet, or it's not the best thing for you. One or the other. One or the other. You know, there's a, there's a story, basically, but without going into the story, it's a very deep and wonderful thing. It, it, it's, 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 it's phrased as like a little simple parable, like for children, but it's, it's not. It's, it's a very fundamental, important thing, which is that people pray and then they don't get their prayer answered and then they think God is ignoring me or God doesn't hear me or there is no God or whatever it is. But God heard you and he just said no. There is a relationship going on. 
right? Or, like I like to say, or he said, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. And, and, and that's important because people confuse the, 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 the lack of a response with, or there is a response, but they perceive that as no response, and then they perceive it as being ignored. And then people enter into this sort of like existential hellhole. Where they think like, well, what's going on then? You know, you know, they get all like freaked out. But it's just, it's not, not yet. Or perhaps no. But if it's a no, it's because it's not what you need right now. You know, I'll tell you something. I, I wanted to get married for a period of years. And I didn't meet my wife. It was a very difficult period in my life. And I'll tell you something, had I met my wife or gotten married during that period, it would have been a disaster. And I only realized that after the fact. I only realized that after the fact. But if you had told me at that moment that I wasn't ready, I would have said, who are you to tell me I'm not ready? Eh, What an insult, chutzpah. Right? Or who knows, maybe, maybe the other person isn't ready. I don't know. I don't know how these things work exactly. But, um, but anyway, so, so listen to what Reb Shlomo says. Why does he kiss Rachel and then cry because of the destruction of the base of Migdash? Because he experiences at that moment such love between himself and his soulmate then he sees that there's going to be a generation that doesn't even understand love. That's going to hate each other for no reason. And so he starts crying that we'll reach a place where we won't even understand what it is to love each other anymore. That we'll be hating each other for no reason. And that's why he's crying. Do you hear? Very interesting explanation. So what does Rachel do? And this is a whole chapter, but I'm just going to cut to the end of it. She understands that um, as much as Yaakov is working for her for these seven years to marry her, that under the chuppah, Lovin, her father, is going to switch her with her sister Leah. It's just, it's, it's just going to happen. And that's just what it is. Lovin is, spiritually speaking, descended from the, the snake in the Garden of Eden, it's a, Lovin is really like one of the all-time worst people ever. And uh, anyway, Lovin's a whole study. Interestingly, his name is White. Because that's how bad he is, that he actually appears on the surface to be good. I mean, that's the, just an aspect of the depths of his evil. You know, his name is Lovin. It means White. I mean, it's really, he's really like the, the bottom, Okay. So, Levin is going to switch them, and that's just what it is. So, Rachel gives over the signs that they had arranged. And again, this is a whole study in itself, but I just want to get to the Pesach Sheni aspect of it. And there's a mitzvah in the Torah, and of course, it happens, because it was God's will, by the way, that Yaakov should marry Rachel, uh, should marry Leah, because that's why they got married to begin with. By the way, there's a fascinating study 
a very fascinating study. Uh, let me just mention it in passing, which is that Esav, remember, Esav and Yaakov are twins. It was supposed to be that Yaakov was supposed to marry Rachel and Esav was supposed to marry Leah. But because Esav turned into such a wicked person, basically he drops out of the picture and now Yaakov acquires the birthright of Esav and now Yaakov is functioning on both wavelengths. So now he's going to marry both sisters and take over this job that Esav was supposed to perform. Okay? Now listen to this. And I, I wish I could quote you the source. I, I, I just, I read it at like one of these uh, sheets that they give out uh, in Shul on Shabbos, you know, when they compile thoughts. So I don't know who said it, but I, I love this thought. That spiritually speaking, remember who Asaph was. Asaph was this dynamo. He was this person in the field. He was a hunter. He was like this, this amazing, like, super guy, right? But just spiritually speaking, he was completely off. But, but if he had been spiritually upright, he would have been the, he would have been like unstoppable, basically. Asaph would have been the model, basically. So, but Asaph blows it, basically. And, uh, but imagine a rectified Asaph. And he marries Leah. Do you know who that child would have been? Yosef. Yosef, spiritually speaking, is sort of like, because if you think of who Asaph was, and you think of who Yosef was, Yosef is running Egypt. Right? Do you see that similarity, that kind of, that person who's out there and who's leading the charge, but at the same time is spiritually mighty. So that's a, just an interesting kind of kind of a, a genealogy that, that that may have been, but never happened. Anyway, so 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 what happens? What happens is is that is that we have a mitzvah in the Torah that a man can't marry two sisters while they're both alive. So you can't be married to two sisters simultaneously. And by the way, just to make it a, a little more challenging, Bill and Zilpah are, according to some accounts, sisters as well. So now there's a lot of sister action going on. You know, there are a lot of sisters there. And there's a outright mitzvah in the Torah that says a person cannot be married to two sisters. We also have the spiritual tradition that Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov kept all of the mitzvahs. So how is it possible that Yaakov could have kept the mitzvah of being married to two sisters, of not marrying two sisters, while being married to two sisters? <laughs> so there's a solution to this. There's a solution to this, and maybe we'll get to it. Maybe I'll just leave you in suspense. But, um, but, but, in fact, according to the Ramban, that's why Rachel dies as she's entering into Israel. That's one of the explanations. Because, because at that point, maybe the mitzvahs only had to be kept before the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai within the land of Israel. Or maybe they were on the level of Noahide laws at that point. It's a, it's a very fascinating, in-depth discussion. But that is one of the explanations of why Rachel dies. Because then 
when he enters into Israel, he'll only be married to one sister instead of two. Anyway, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating sidebar, but, but let's just get to this point. Rachel gets a second chance. That's the, that's the thought. Here you have a mitzvah in the Torah that says it, it can't happen. It can't happen. Rachel has given away her soulmate. And yet, somehow, Rachel gets a second chance. And she ends up married to Yaakov, when on some level that couldn't happen. So you see how she brought this concept of second chances into the world. And she gives birth, Rachel gives birth to Yosef, who becomes this embodiment of second chances. And then it's through the bones of Yosef that second chances are given through all of eternity. Now, now there's one more thing I want to say. Going back to the, going back to the idea of, uh, that actually it was not of an Avihu who died, not Yosef, and their bodies were fished out of the Mishkan, out of the tabernacle. What's that whole idea on second chances? Well, that's coming from Aaron. And interestingly, right now we're counting the Sphira. And the Sphira... We're in the month of Iyar. And uh, the Sphere day today is Chesed Shabahod. Hod is Aaron. Okay? Aaron, what's the whole idea of Aaron? Aaron is the one who's really the master of love. He's the one who's running the Mishkan. And what's the Mishkan all about? You bring an offering and God fixes whatever it is that you did wrong. What is that if not a second chance? So you see, like, Aaron creates this opening where he's in, like, that's like, he's in the second chance business. And so it comes through Aaron also with the other way of learning it. That lineage is that it's the children of Aaron who are fished out. And Aaron is all about the Mishkan, which is all about repair and second chances. So you see it on that level as well. Now, I mentioned that we're in the month of Iyar. And this is how I began the talk, by saying we're always in the middle. Because Iyar is a very interesting month. Iyar, in terms of the flow of the months, the first month of the year is Nisan. That's when we leave Egypt. That's the month of springtime. That's when like, everything blooms. Like its opportunity is created, right? And we leave in the month of springtime. And then why did God take us out of Egypt? Not that he just took us out of Egypt because we were slaves and he wanted to free us. It was a purpose-driven thing. He took us out of Egypt in order to give us the Torah and Mount Sinai. This is one of the most basic facts of what it is to be a Jew. And somehow this piece of information has been lost on an entire several set of generations. To the point where a lot of people don't know what the holiday of Shavuos is. Shavuos? What is that? Shavuos is the holiday where we receive the Torah. This is, you know, you can't get more central than that. It's on the status of Sukkot and Pesach. It's one of the big three. So that happens in the month of Nisan. That's the third month. So we leave Egypt in the month of Nisan. We receive it in the month of Sivan. That's the third month. So the middle month is ER. That's where we are right now. ER is the journey to 
the act of becoming, the act of climbing, the act of not being there yet. Right? And you know, it's hard to journey and not be there your whole life. Which is why ER, the name of the month, is an acrostic. It's Aleph Yud Yud Resh, which stands for Ani. Yud Yud is one of the ways you spell the name of God. Ani Hashem. And the Resh stands for Rofecha. I am God your healer. This is the month of healing. Because you know something? If you have to go through a whole lifetime and never quite get there, you need a lot of healing. You need a lot of healing. Not only that, but it's also an acrostic of, remember, it's Aleph, Yud, Yud, Resh. Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, and Rachel. Okay? So, Rachel, again, we've got Pesach Sheni, second chances. Because if you're always in the act of trying to get there, you need a lot of second chances. And you have to understand that you're engulfed within beginnings. Now, I want to say one more thing, and this I alluded to this earlier. An aspect of Pesach Sheni that I haven't heard anyone else discuss. All right, we have the Torah. And the Torah is one unit. It's all one, okay? It's the infinite compressed into the finite, okay? It's all one. It's all one. And, uh, and yet, how God chooses to deliver pieces of information within it is just, there's a lot of meaning behind it. When God gives a commandment, when God tells a particular account, how he tells it, what's included, what's left out, all of these things. Because remember, if God wanted to include every single thing in the world, how big would the Torah be? It would be impractical. So it's, it's written in this very amazing way where many things are compressed and alluded to by just like even the tip of a letter will give an entire insight into, into the nature of something. All right. Now, one of the ways that God communicates to us is sometimes he'll put an account out of order sequentially. Okay? Usually speaking, according to the Ramban, it's a bit of a debate, according to the Ramban, usually everything is in order. Okay? Except if it explicitly tells you it's out of order, which is rarely. Okay? Rashi says and this is the majority opinion, that, you know something, many things are out of order in the Torah. Meaning to say that God, for whatever reason, and there are always amazing and great reasons, God chooses to delay the telling of this account or to move up this account a little bit early for, for various reasons. Each, each has its own special uh, teaching. Okay. So now there's one place in the Torah where it is indisputably out of order. <laughs> and it's indisputably out of order because it gives you the date that it happens and it's already given you another date earlier. And so there it is. It's not a question of, you know, well, that's a very interesting interpretation. There's no interpretation necessary. You know, the date on the check here says, you know, January. And, you know, we already learned about 
what's going on in March. It just said it's March, and now all of a sudden it's saying it's January. That's out of order, right? So, so, so here it is. If you want to see it, it's in Sefer Bamidbar, the book of Numbers. It's in chapter 9, verse 1. Okay, and even the Ramban who says, no, no, the Torah is always in order, unless it says otherwise, agrees. Okay, for sure, this is out of order. So everyone is agreeing this is out of order. Okay, so it says here, Hashem spoke to Moshe in the wilderness of Sinai in the second year from their exodus from the land of Egypt in the first month. So in other words, what is this? This is the month of Nisan, the first month, the second year after we've left. Okay, now what's the problem? Well, there's no problem, but we've already talked about uh, events that have happened after this. So, so, so here, I'll just read you the note here from the Stone Chumash. The year after the Exodus, God commanded Israel to bring the Pesach offering at its appointed time, the 14th of Nisan, the first month of the year. Since the book of Numbers began with events of the second month, this chapter is clearly out of chronological order. And indeed, the sages use it as proof that the order of the Torah is not necessarily chronological. And it quotes the Gomorrah, Psachim 6b. Okay? In such cases, however, one must seek to understand why the Torah preferred to list an event after or before it actually occurred. All right? Now, What's So now let's get the context. So since this is the capital of things being out of order, right? Let's see what it's going on to discuss. And I'll just tell you what it is, because I don't want to just read it. I'll just tell you what it is. You know what it goes on to discuss? Pesach Sheni. Now, honestly, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around that connection. But on some level, on some level, and forgive me if what I'm about to say sounds a little bit confusing because I'm still working it out in my own mind. But it seems to me that, you know, if you can get it, a lot of us want to get it right the first time. Like we think that we'll get it right the first time. And then... And then it doesn't work out for whatever reason. And then we get a second chance. Maybe that second chance was really the first chance, but it's coming out of sequence in our lives. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of like a bit of, of almost dream logic, if you will. It's a bit of dream logic, you know. Yeah, you know, that our lives are out of order on a very deep level. We've talked about that before. If you, ever, if you want to hear a whole talk on it, it's on the Torah on iTunes.com. It's called, why, uh, why is Life So Confusing? But just to give the talk over in one sentence, basically the idea is that we believe in reincarnation. Jewish people believe in reincarnation. So a lot of times there's an event that's happening in our life which makes no real sense. Because we're, act, we're fixing something from a previous lifetime. And many times, there's stuff that's happening in our life that doesn't make any sense because it's for something that's going to happen either to us later on in life 
or an event that's meant for our children. And so it's working through our lives at that point also. So on some level, we're dealing with the past, the present, and the future all simultaneously. And we don't have all the crucial bits of information. And so it just strikes us as illogical and confusing. But it makes absolute sense. If we had the, the fullness of all the information, as God does, obviously, makes perfect sense what's going on. So, so this idea that the very place where the Torah is telling us that it's out of order is also the place where it's telling us that we get a second chance. So don't give up. You can't afford to give up. You can't afford to give up. Because can you imagine, can you imagine if you made a very important life decision and you were wrong? You just didn't have the information. You said, oh, you know what, I'm not going to do that because it's on the 14th and I've got this thing on the 14th. And then on the 15th, you realize the event was on the 16th. You mean I could have gone? You could have gone. I don't want to do this because that guy, blah, blah, blah. And then you find out later on that issue that you had with the guy was just in your own head. Right? I mean, we, we can't afford to close the door on ourselves if the whole point is that God is opening up the door every single moment. If that's the nature of our lives and of, of actual reality, that the door is constantly being opened, who are we to close the door? Like, imagine again that example of Rabbi Nachman. You, you go through all these battles. What, it is, what does it mean to be the age that you are today? I don't care whether you're 12 or 90. What, what does it mean to be the person that you are today and everything that you've gone through? To be, to just get to today. And now you see that spider web in front of the door and you go, oh. And you turn and you turn back. It can't be. It can't be. It can't be. It can't be. And I'll tell you something. So, so how do you take advantage of the opportunity then? And we'll just close on this, okay? Well, the very first thing that we're instructed to say in the morning is ani lefanecha. I gratefully thank you, God. Or on a deeper level, moda also means to admit. Moda ani. I admit that ani, that it's only you. There's no me. I don't even exist. It's only you. However you want to understand it. But it's starting from a place of thanks. That every single day has to begin with a a, a place of thanks. Because this is, this is not your, 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 your teacher or your, your mother saying, say thank you, begin the day with a thank you. You know how long I had to wait online at the bakery to get you those cookies? It's, it's not that. It's not that. This is, this is a very deep psychological insight that probably our generation can appreciate better than previous generations. The importance of gratitude if you actually begin the day with gratitude, the sages are telling us you must begin every day with gratitude. 
And then that will keep that. Then at least the first moments of the day, you won't be closing the door on yourself. And staying trapped in this room or this psychic space of whatever it is that holds us back. At least in the opening moments of the day, open the door and keep it open. And the way to do that is through gratitude. By thanking God. If, and then you have to try to stay in that place. Okay, so then that's a whole, that's a whole thing in itself. But at least we can work on the beginning. At least we can work on the beginning. And then the sages say, then you have to exercise the element of speed and courage. Because it says you have to get out of bed in the morning like a lion. What's the quality of a lion? A lion, this is very deep. These are very, very deep teachings. And again, I think our generation can appreciate this more than even better than previous generations. A lion is the king of the jungle. I heard from Reb Shlomo, the reason why the lion is the king is because he's not afraid of anyone. In other words, the quality that the sages are trying to communicate to us, because they speak in parables, that's why they're putting it in terms of a lion and things like this, is a lion is fearless. You understand? These are, these are the psychic keys that one has to begin a day with. First with gratitude, then, God, you're here, I'm thanking you, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be afraid of what that appointment and that phone call that I have to make and that bill that I owe and that, ah, and don't think about it too much, by the way, because then you'll, <laughs> you'll really not get out of bed. <laughs> but the idea is just, and a, and a, and a, a lion pounces, right? You're literally pouncing on the day. You're, you're running after it. That's the speed element. You're not just thinking in bed all the things you're not afraid of, which is not, not what the Torah is teaching us. So, in other words, it's gratitude, it's fearlessness combined with speed. So you have to get out of bed, like pounce out of bed, like a lion. Gratitude, fearlessness, and speed. That's how we begin every single day. And that's how we keep the door open. And that's how we keep the second chances going. And that's how we create an arousal from below for all future generations. It should be a beautiful, beautiful day for all of us. Thank the whole you. world. Yeah. Yeah.